learning about what it means to be led. Uh, we find this in the word hegeomai. It's an interesting word we find in 2 Peter 3.16. And it's a word that indicates, uh, normally translated consider or something like that. But, it, but its root word is ago, which is a word that means to be led. So that's part of what we're looking looking at. Also in all his letters and speaking in them, some things are hard to understand, which the unstable and and untaught distort like they do the rest of the scriptures to their own ruination. And we've started to look at things to consider for the purpose of guidance. Basically, we're letting the word hegeomai lead us through the uh, New Testament here and give us some ideas what it means to be led as we face the various circumstances of life. It's a beautiful word that is used. It's so common, people often overlook it. But we're trying to drill down a little bit and not overlook it. Before we begin, let's take just a a few moments for prayer. Uh, Put away all the uh, things of the world. I know you've probably got menus coming up for this Thursday as to are you going to add the cinnamon to the sweet potatoes or not. I mean, all kinds of things. So let's try to put all those out of our mind long enough to see what God's Word has to say to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your test. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the amazing gift of your Son. And Father, we thank you that we're able to come together today in a a free country and open up your word and to be fed by it. So Father, we pray that that your word will indeed uh, teach us, challenge us, enlighten us, convict us where we need it, so we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name, amen. So things to consider for the purpose of guidance. Now, if you were to Try to take a look at the, the will of God. What you find in the overall overarching thing is the plan of God. Now the plan of God, God includes decisions made for and against him. Because he's omniscient, he knows what people are going to do. It really wasn't God's directive will or the Lord's directive will that Judas betray him. But it was his permissive will and he knew it was going to happen. So he factored all that into his plan. It's just like what's going on right now around the world. Is it is it God's directive will that the that Israel be under attack? No. Is it his permissive will that it is under attack? Yes. Is it factored into his plan? Yes. This is the dynamics of prophecy. This is how things come together. Because one of the things that tracks all the way through from from Adam on, and actually we could go pre-Adam is the uh, issue of volition. How do we decide and the accountability for those decisions? And that's one of the big big arguments, if not the biggest, within the angelic conflict. So this is a, a battle going on. Now, as you start looking at God's plan, it includes his directive will. Directive will, we've defined, is what God wants me to think, say, and do. Okay, That's pretty simple. Not how he directs history. That's in another realm uh, within his will. But what does he want me to think, say, and do? And that's often where we're in violation. So this is a portion of what we're looking at in his directive will. 
We got started into this last week. Things to consider for the purpose of guidance. And the first thing we need to consider, we and the blanks are filled in on your handout. Hopefully I got the handout right today. But the, uh, the blanks are filled in. Okay. Kelvin usually does this for me. Kelvin's not here today, so we're going to go ahead and have a deacon's meeting, and he does not know what's in store for him (laughs) when he gets back. So anyway, uh, (laughs) but Jesus is example of emptying himself. When we want to find directive will, in Philippians 2.5, it's called the doctrine of kenosis for those studying theology, the emptying out of himself. That's really what he did. And whenever we look at scripture, we find out that's what we're called to do. Okay? Consider other people more important than ourselves. Multiple passages, take up your cross and follow me. Multiple passages that say it's not about us. Okay? It's about what we can do in service to God and service to other, other people. Now, <clears throat> he emptied himself, and then we find another thing to consider. You want to live this life with God's directive will? Then think about the grace of Christ Jesus that put us into service for him. The example is is Paul writing to Timothy, and he said, he considered me faithful, putting me into service. That word considered is a geomai. In other words, he led me. He put me into service. So Paul knew that his leading was designed just to, uh, that God had led him to do that. It's uh, a lot of us have examples in our own life when when uh, the decision was made to go to seminary in my life. It was one of those things that, um, well, do I go? Do I not go? What do I do? And here it is, July and seminary. We had to be there to start seminary in September, and and it was kind of like, uh, do we go or not? And Dan Hardy had already decided to go, and he and I talked, and he said. Just pray that if it's not the right thing, God will shut it down. Well, he didn't. <laughs> he first weekend in July went to meet with the president of the seminary. First weekend in July, we met together. I had bills to pay. I had a house to sell. All these insurmountable things, see, that couldn't be done. By human means. The house we'd had on the market for a year, nobody would even looked at it. So, I mean, it was those kind of things. By August 15th, we were in Tulsa. So, watching him put that together, he called me into service. I knew exactly where I was supposed to be. So no matter what hit over the next three years, we were ready for it. Didn't make it any easier, but we knew because of divine leading, that's where we were supposed to be. Now, consider the grace of Jesus Christ because every one of you has accepted Christ as your Savior has a spiritual gift. 
And that's your main area of service. It might be other areas. We're called into all different kinds of areas. But he gives you a gift so you can excel in a given area. So since you are a believer, you're saved by grace. You've got a gift and he has called you into service. Okay, why did he save us by grace? Let's see, seems like to do works, Ephesians 2.10, that were designed for us before the creation of the world. Okay, so he put us into service. We all know we're goof-ups. So the only way we can serve the Lord is by his grace. And we need to be reminded of that every stinking, every stinking day. Now, stinking day, because there's a lot of stuff that stinks during the day, as we, as we know. Now, how should we live? Directive will of God. We need to know what's truly important in this life. What's really important, and that's what Paul writes about in Philippians 3. He says, I counted everything lost that I might gain Christ. He said, and the context there he had it all he was a pharisee of pharisees of the tribe of uh, benjamin he was his name was saul named after the first king of israel he was a pharisee of pharisee he had it all from a human perspective and he said i consider that all rubbish i reckoned it all i had oh might it was my leading one of my leading thoughts and he says that i might gain christ now the fourth thing to consider where we left off is to consider others more important than yourself. Others more important than yourself. Now, I think this starts in the home of the husband and wife. That's, that's got to be where it starts. The, the closest relationships he designed. Just study Genesis. I, you know, We go into Genesis and we start arguing over things and we forget the main points. Okay, Main points, husband and wife. Okay, second divine institution. First one is volition. Second one is husband and wife. Third one is family. Okay, so your family is, is important about doing the, fulfilling the one another commands and considering others more important than yourself. And then nation. That comes next, interestingly enough. Either to hopefully work within the nation and try and get it straightened back out as priests and leaders and those type of people are called to do. Uh, or go defend it if you need to. Others more important than yourself. Do nothing, Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now how hard is that to understand? Okay. But with humility of mind, let each one of you, hagaomai, consider for the purpose of being led one another as more important than himself. Now that's, that's a pretty clear statement. And then verse 5, remember, is have this attitude in yourselves also in Christ Jesus, and he emptied himself for us. So that's the example it's set within the context. <clears throat> Consider how to work with others in ministry. This is Philippians 2.25. This is Hegeomai. And this Paul said, I, can, I thought it necessary. The word they translated thought there is our word Hegeomai. He means he, he thought about it and he looked at it for the purpose of being led. And it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. 
So Epaphroditus, he decided to send on, but he decided to use him. Part of why Paul couldn't go, he's in jail. Okay, So he had other people that were helping him out, and what he was able to do is lead. He thought about things, and he led accordingly, and he gave other people a chance to participate. It didn't become a one-man show. Paul never desired that. Well, he may have early on, but he didn't desire that as he grew up and, and he matured. Because Epaphroditus labored to the point of, of death. He almost died. I mean, that's who he was. But see, other people in the body of Christ that you might be called to lead, they have gifts. They have spiritual gifts. So how do you use them? Because it's easy, especially for a pastor, to want to do everything for everybody. You know, a shepherd's heart kind of goes with that, and you say, well, I can do this for them, and I can do this for them, as we find out even with our kids, not a good idea. Okay? They need to learn how to do it. Yeah. I had a daughter that was so stubborn, she said, here, let us help you. She goes, I do it, <laughs> in about that tone of voice. So we didn't have any trouble um, getting her to do things. Okay, Gifts. What are other people's gifts? What are their skills? Okay, Today you have the... Um, misfortune of me leading the music because Kelvin's not feeling well. I told you we'd get even with him for not being here. I don't have the skill that Brian has and Galen has to play these instruments. I had three years of accordion lessons back a long, long time ago, so I can do the right hand of the piano, but the left hand doesn't have buttons. So I can't do... (laughs) I can't do the piano, the organ, or anything else, except the right hand. I can follow along, read music, and do that sort of stuff. They have skills in that area. It's not skills that I have. So for me to try and step in and do that would be not giving someone else the opportunity to serve. So a spiritual leader needs to find out, well, where are the gifts, where are the skills, how can we work together? I, I think, actually, that that uh, people are only given one spiritual gift. They may have several talents and several skills. But I think when it came to the permanent gifts, you find out everybody was given one permanent gift because that forces us to work together. If you could have multiple gifts, then you could do it all yourself. And so I think there's only one. 1 Peter 4.10 is where I get that from. As each one has received a gift, singular employ it in serving one another. So whatever your gift is, it's going to be a supernatural ability to excel in a given area. That's what it's that's what it's going to be. So how to work with others. You need to think about that if you're in a position of spiritual leadership. Here's another thing to consider for the purpose of leadership. Have you ever had somebody do you wrong? Disrespect you? Treat you wrong? I know nobody in here has ever faced that particular battle. But believers who go astray, we need to consider them still brothers and not enemies. And sometimes that's difficult to do. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man, don't associate with him, so that he may be put to shame. 
In the context of those two letters to Thessalonica, there are significant issues of character to be found in there in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians especially. Significant things that, that you should look for in spiritual leaders. And he says, what happens if somebody doesn't listen to the instruction, decides they're going to do it their own way, change everything around, says, do not regard him as an enemy. He's still a brother in Christ. So don't consider him for the purpose of leading your thoughts, decisions, actions as an enemy. But admonish him as a brother. Now I know sometimes brothers and sisters can fight with each other. I have one brother, and of course we never fought. I was an older brother, so he was always, younger brother's always right. You find that out real quick, because you're picking on your little brother. Didn't have any sisters, so I don't know how brothers and sisters really fight with each other, but I'm sure there's plenty of that that can go on. But consider one as a brother, not an enemy. Because it's interesting thing about brothers, seldom do you ever really hate them. I mean, they're still your brother. Now, this is for the purpose of guidance in our own life. If we're having trouble applying these things, our attitudes need to be adjusted. Do they need to adjust their activities and actions and all that? Maybe. That's between them and God. And if I get a chance to admonish them as a brother, admonish means to warn, then that's what I do. But I still should have an attitude. They're still my brother in Christ. How about not trampling underfoot the Trinity? Oh, here's a humdinger. Now, some people trample underfoot one or two members of the Trinity. They tried to spread them up, divide them out. Some, some people are Jesus only. Some people are Holy Spirit only. Some people are Father only. Uh, it, it's, you know, there's, there's three in one. The, one of the last things we ever want to try to do is split them up. Now, how do you, how do you reject the, George? How do you reject the Trinity? Hebrews 10, 26. Go ahead and turn there with me, if you would. And, uh, go ahead and turn there with me, if you would. Hebrews 10.26, this interesting passage because we frequently overseas we run into people that um, uh, they, well, why do you believe you can't lose your salvation? We run into two big things overseas and that's one of the big things that we run into. They believe you can lose your salvation. And they say, and whenever they say that, you see your, their hands go up. And there's about three verses that they pick out, and this is one of them, to try and prove their point. And I'm thankful when they do, and I tell them that. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad you brought this up, because I've been trying to teach you about how to interpret in context. What does context mean? Okay, the first 25 verses of this chapter point out the context and the context is the Levitical priest that stands daily offering up sacrifices but Jesus has offered one sacrifice for sin for all time okay now 
When we get to trampling underfoot, you have to have that in context. He says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, who's he talking to? Hebrews, Jews. What did they do for 1,500 years before this? And even longer, but as a nation, offered up sacrifices. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, none of those sacrifices could take away sins. But you know what the Jews did? They turned it into a license to sin. Much like some people turn confession of sin into a license to sin. It is not a license to sin. It's a license to serve. A whole different attitude. And he says that, and what they thought was, at the first advent, they thought that if you were offering up the animal sacrifices, that's what saved you. Okay? And so... The, the Jews, especially, if we there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, he's saying there's no animal sacrifices are no longer valid. Why? Because the truth, the reality, the real sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away sins, he's been here. So all these other things are unnecessary, they are unneeded. And they're saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying to the Jews, you don't have an easy out anymore. Okay? You just thought, well, I just go sin, I'll just go bring a sacrifice, and everything's cool with me and God. And he says, that's not the way it works, actually never the way it ever worked. He says, but there is a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, that's capital punishment under the Mosaic Law. That's just carrying on what was told to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. You shed man's blood, then your life shall be forfeited as well. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? How do you do that? By ongoing willful sinning. You think it is everything is fine and dandy. And as regarded, this is our... Hegeo, my word. He is considered it for the purpose of being led by it as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And he's insulted the spirit of, of grace. What do we got there? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, once again. Disrespect. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, believers can be real sinners and real real goofballs too. And the writers of Scripture know that. But see, the, there is a discipline for eternity that goes with not being saved from the penalty for sin. But there's a discipline in time whenever we don't do battle with the power of sin. And it can lead, 1 John 3 even says, to the sin unto death. So there is, there is a sin that is not unto death. So he's saying, don't continue on in uh, unwillful sinning. Don't trample underfoot the Trinity. Don't reject the promises of God. That's one way to do it, just to, to trample underfoot. When you say, the Lord said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And we say, no, no, you're not. Or we act like he's not. We, we reject what he has said. For the purpose of leadership, the faithfulness of our Lord. 
even when things appear humanly impossible. From Hebrews 11 and 11, have you ever faced a Red Sea crossing in your life? The enemy's beating down on you. The Red Sea, a million-man million army there coming from Egypt, bearing down on them. And Moses had one of the great lines in all the Bible, stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. And the waters parted. Okay. Have you ever had a Red Sea moment? Have you ever had a wilderness moment? Jesus out in the wilderness for 40 days and the devil tempting him. Have you ever had a cross moment where you felt like you're going to be crucified? Hebrews 11:11. Let's look at some of the heroes of old. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered, get, oh my, consider for the purpose, she thought about it and said, this is going to lead me. She considered him faithful who had promised. You know, a lot of times the test we face in life, I'll go back to, do we believe God's faithful or not? Do we? Will he keep his word? Will he keep his promises? And that's a test that we're going to face in an ongoing way all of our life. And when we face these Red Sea crossings, when we face these wilderness tests, when we face the no water test, the too much water test, the wrong kind of water test, when we face all these kinds of tests, are we going to consider him faithful who promised? Because that's all about, you know, Sarah's 90 years old at this time. And I don't know, and especially in this day and time, a whole lot of 90-year-old ladies that would like to have everything rejuvenated so they could have another child. But they'd been promised a child. Okay? Didn't have one. And Abraham, at Sarah's urging, tried it with Hagar. That didn't work out good at all. And so they had this Ishmael, which they're still doing battle with right now. And so... Uh, the Lord came back and said, no, Sarah is going to be the one, the princess. No longer Sarai, Sarah, the princess. She's going to be the one that's going to have a child. And because you laughed and she laughed, you're going to call him Isaac, meaning laughter. Okay? Be a constant reminder. One of you laughed with God, the other laughed at God. That's exactly what happened. But once she made the adjustment, she considered him faithful who promised. Now, the test of life is beneficial. It's one of my favorite verses to quote. Maybe not necessarily one of my favorite to have to apply. But it's, this, is, this is what we have to, have to learn. Because this opens up, James 1, 2, consider. That's our word. Hegehomai. Consider. For the purpose of being led by it. Consider what? Consider it. All joy. <laughs> now, have you been not joyful at some point in this last week? Sometimes we can get unjoyful on the way to church. Sometimes we can get lose our joy when we get to church. There's a whole lot of things that can try to steal our joy. But here it says, think about it for the purpose of leadership. So when you face these Red Sea crossings, these wilderness tests, when you face these, he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. 
It's an interesting word about trials. It's a word that can mean a test or a temptation, depending on the context. And it is something that always requires a volitional decision, is how you're going to respond to it. And he says, consider it all joy when you encounter various tests, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. He's saying, look at the difficulties of life and look for what you can learn. Look for what you can learn from it. Because it produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. So that you can be perfect. It's a word that means really mature. You can be mature. Grown up. Face life as an adult. And complete. Lacking in nothing. You want to personalize this into a prayer? Change pronoun. We can do pronoun changes around here. We're just going to use them properly. Lord, let me consider it all joy. This is how you personalize it. Are you praying God's will? Yes. Okay. This is his stated directive will, how he wants me to think, speak, and act. Let me, Lord, because I'm praying his will. Let me consider it all joy, my brethren, when, when I encounter various trials. Knowing the testing of my faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result in me. So I can be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. The next verse. When I lack wisdom, let me ask. Because I know you give generously and without reproach. Let me ask without any doubting. Let me not be a double-minded person. See, that continues on in James. And I am praying God's stated directive will. Now, are we going to get it automatically? I don't think so. Sin nature is doing battle with us all the time. But what we are going to get is at least the headed in the right direction. Now, Peter had a whole bunch of exhortations. First of all, the importance of repetition. We remember that, the importance of repet- repetition. Peter says, I consider it right. I think about it for the purpose of being led. As long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. So Peter says, I'm not going to stop reminding you because it's important. And then <clears throat> he, he also warns to avoid the activities of the false teachers. Or you could say avoid the guidance of the false teachers from 2 Peter 2.12 where it says that they consider it a pleasure to reveal in the daytime. He's saying the false teachers of the last days, they frequently involve some type of, of sexuality in what they are doing. They are stains and blemishes, reviling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery, that never ceases from sin, enticing, enticing unstable souls, and having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. That's what he's saying. The false teachers of the last days are trying to lead people to follow them instead of leading people to follow the Lord. Now, they often invoke his name, but the Lord gets tired of that. 
you remember in the first century in the Gospels, it says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart's far away from me. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. So indeed, he knows when we're trying to play him. And he knows when we're trying to play other people. He knows it. So avoid the activities of the false teachers. Another thing to think about for the purpose of being guided is the Lord's slowness. Passage we just can't we just covered for is for our benefit. Now, when is he going to come back? I don't know. He left it that way. Right? We know that. No one knows the day or the hour. Stop trying to guess. Because nobody's going to be able to say on the way up, I told you. It's not going to happen. Okay? Just leave it that way. But be ready all the time. That's where the scriptures say we we are supposed to be. The Lord's slowness is for our benefit. Why does he leave us here? You know the greatest rewards come from enduring the greatest testing. You know, there are people around around this world, I'll be happy to carry their sandals in eternity. That little Eleanor, I don't know if you've read any of the book or not, but what she did, yeah, I'll carry her sandals. Of course, in eternity, she won't need anybody to carry her like like she did over the mountains. But she is she is one of those real warriors of the faith who gave it all and everybody said you can't do that that polio is going to keep you away there's no way you'll ever go on a mission field no way you'll ever survive no way you'll ever do it and she's still around today after doing everything that's and more of the things that are written in in that book but why is he slow coming back because when i look at the world i go Lord, it's all set up. And he answers, I know. <laughs> How can he answer anything else? I mean, it's all put together. All the cycles of history and all this other stuff. And people say, well, it's just another cycle of history and da-da-da. Never before has it all come together at the same time. It's come together. So when is he coming? I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Be ready. Be ready for the trumpet to sound. So the slowness is for what? We can do more good. We can serve others more honestly. We can can gain on a selfish end more eternal rewards. That's what we can do. He's left us here for our benefit. But also for the benefit of all humanity. Because it gives another person the opportunity to believe in Christ and not have to go through that tribulation. Now that's that's amazing. That's amazing to think about. Uh, but some sometimes it's easy uh, to say, "Well, I just don't care about the others." Uh, it, that's a test question we ought to ask ourselves. I don't give a rip about all those people dying and going to hell. That's not the right attitude. <laughs> That's not the right, it's not God's attitude, not Christ's attitude. He paid for their sins just like he paid for mine. And so my attitude should be totally different, totally different from the world. 
Everybody wants to kill all of our enemies. Jesus said you love your enemies. It's the highest, highest form of love. Now, loving your enemies doesn't mean you arm them and give, you a, give them a clean shot. It's not what it's, not what it's talking about. But what it's saying is being prepared, but are you ready to stand up for the cause of Christ? A lot of people that we're, we're at war with, in a sense, around the world, believe that if you're not willing to die for your God, your God's worth nothing. And sadly, there's a lot of Christians like that. Because what, what, you're, what you die for, tell me what you're living for. Stole that from Gary Horton. Yeah, true statement. What, are we, what, would, what would we die for? Hmm. A lot of people would die to keep their money, wouldn't they? Keep their things, keep their property. We've gone to war so that we could maintain our standard of living over here more than once. I think that's the wrong reason. And then we send our troops over there. We can't talk to other people and try to evangelize them because it might offend them. Well, i got news for them. Jesus Christ is called the stumbling stone. And if people trip over him, it's their problem. It's not up to me to remove that from a conversation. So people that go over there, they've got a tough decision to make. You know, people, those gospel coins in over a hundred and some odd languages, can't tell you how many troops have gotten in trouble for handing out gospel coins in foreign land and not from the people. Now, we, we've headed down a rabbit hole, and we're only here by the grace of God. That's it. The Lord's patience toward us is so we can rearrange things in our lives that are not pleasing to Him. See? What, maybe we want to be found doing what we're supposed to be doing when He comes back, or the things that we need to rearrange. In the, the poem, The Dash, that I do at memorial services and funeral services, uh, you never know how much time is left to rearrange the things in your life and that's true one day we're going to stand in front of the Lord 2 Peter 3.14 the verses we card regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation the deliverance from the power of sin that's what we're looking for now <clears throat> the authorities in our lives are another things we need to consider for the cause of guidance we think about and how we led by them because there is no authority that exists that God hasn't set up. He's given the authority. He's also given the responsibility. And when you study authority in Scripture, that's what you, what you find out. Now, <clears throat> respect for our employers. 1 Timothy 6 says, Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that the name of our God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. See, Paul's saying we're not here to lead an insurrection. What we would rather do is see first-class employees. Colossians 3.23 says the same thing. Do your work heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Okay? Now, are sometimes the authorities out of line? Yes. But what are we supposed to do? They have that position. So we need to honor that, that position. That should guide our responses. Respect for those who spiritually lead other people. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We request, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Now this is the model church he's writing to. 
and have charge over you in the Lord, and they give you instruction. And that you consider them highly in love because of their work. So live in peace with one another. Some people have been called to be leaders. And so it says those who have been called, accepted the call, gone through it, show respect, show esteem for them. And I, I appreciate all of you guys because you've really uh, done that toward me. And I, I really appreciated that. I've been doing this for over 40 years and it hasn't always been that way. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Occasionally things get a little bit sideways, but but uh, you guys have been so gracious and kind and considerate, and, and I really uh, appreciate it. Now, <clears throat> who else? Missionaries on the back wall. Other pastors. Other pastors, not just the place that you attend church, but other pastors. Because it's a, it's a tough job. The only tougher job... I think is the pastor's wife, and that's the toughest there is. And teachers show show respect for them. You can disagree with them and still show respect. Now, if they're worth their salt, they want to. If you disagree with them, tell them, okay, and then leave. No, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Most of you know me too well. We've had a Good conversations over over the years, and we should be able to to do that. But respect those who are are spiritual leaders. Respect the conduct, or consider the conduct of those who lead other people. Now, Hebrews thirteen seven. This is a interesting passage. Oftentimes, when people are Talking about authority, they use, and especially within the church, they use Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. We're going to look at 17 in just a second. But it says here, remember the, those who led you and can, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct. Think about it for the purpose of being led. He says, imitate their faith. Now, how did Paul say do this? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be an imitator of me, just as I am of Christ. Okay? So the conduct of spiritual leaders should be exemplary. and should be worthy of being imitated. That's what the conduct of spiritual leaders should be. When it stops being that, don't follow their sinful behavior. Don't line up behind them. But a spiritual leader is supposed to be an example. Uh, and at any time a spiritual leader thinks he's really got it down, um, and go to Ephesians 5.1, be an imitator of God. And if that's not enough for you, go to Matthew 5.48 that says, Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father's perfect. <laughs> so if you think you, you think you got it, you know, Peter wrote, finally, pride goes before the fall. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay, that when you think you got it, be careful. Be careful. Seek to not generate problems, Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders. This is obey in a participle form. And it means consider, the, consider for the purpose of, of leadership... <coughs> And submit to them. 
for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. You see, I don't know how many times I've heard the first part of this verse quoted. Okay? Obey your leaders. Submit to them. Period. And that's not a period here. It's a semicolon. That means the thought goes on. Because they keep watch over your souls. The shepherds that are doing their job have concern for the flock. It says, as those who will give an account. Often that's left out. Because anybody in a position of spiritual leadership will give an account for what they did. Sounds a whole lot like the judgment seat of Christ. Exactly what it sounds like. And he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief because this would be unprofitable for you. Okay? If there's issues, problems, talk about them. Talk through them. Sometimes there may need to be decisions made that you don't necessarily agree with. But if they're, if they're not moral decisions and they're just procedural decisions, then let's figure out how to, how to live with one another. Authorities in our lot should be saluted properly. And this just, interestingly enough, goes through Hebrews. Notice the last three points out of Hebrews chapter 13, the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, written to the Jews, and they were big on, on authority. He says, I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, because I have written to you briefly. Thirteen chapters of brief here. Okay. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I shall see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. And those from Italy greet you. Whoever wrote this, this particular epistle wrote from Italy. And he says, greet all those who are leading you. And it is a, it is a commentary as it goes around. Share this, this book with them of Hebrews. They should be saluted appropriately. I find it interesting that there are other passages you find in the New Testament that talk about honoring one another. How about the good one? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, now for the literalist, <laughs> that can get kind of... Oh, and then COVID came by. I find it interesting with COVID. Don't touch, don't look, don't... I mean, all this other stuff with, with COVID came along. And Christians, as they come together, should greet each other appropriately. And I've been in places. I've been in Russia. I've been in Belarus. And, boy, you get a holy kiss whenever you go there. Um, you know, uh, Russia's both cheeks. And you sometimes have to dodge the one right in the middle. you got to... <laughs> I had, a, had an old guy that spent three or four years in the gulag, literally, that um, he was there because he had a pound of candy that that uh, he couldn't account for. So they put him in the gulag for three or four years. Over there, if you say anything against the government that could even be construed as being against the government or against their leader, it's two years in prison. And all you have to do is appear before a judge and you're gone. And people think that communism, Marxism is a good idea. I can tell you what, it is not a good idea. But this old guy came up, he loved the message, we were talking. He put one on each cheek 
And I thought, God, he's zeroing in. <laughs> and, and I managed to turn and shake hands with somebody else or something. Cause, but th- then I found out what this man had gone through already. And I thought, I should be ashamed. I should have enough honor for one another. Greet them in accordance with the way that they consider this, this is what is honorable to them. This is how they do that. It's not for me to come change their customs at all. It's not. It's for me to accept and talk about things that are really important. And what's really important is me honoring them and them honoring me. See, that's what's really important. Learn the important things, the priorities in life, the things that supersede other things. That's our guidance. Because we want to, to, to be as close we can to this direct line of the directive will of God. Because you know what the directive will of God is? It's righteous. And you know what the word righteous means? Straight. It's at the root of the meaning. So it means keep a straight line. Keep a straight line. Don't deviate to the left or to the right. Don't wobble. Keep a straight line. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your love and mercy and grace and all your blessings, all your tests. Father, we thank you for our our love and friendship with one another and our love for you. I pray that you'll cause this to grow so that we indeed will become the people that you would have us to be and better represent you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.